listeners, welcome to Bites of the Roundtable. I'm your host, Tao, and today we'll be talking about all things related to dun, dun, Thanksgiving! The American in me really leapt out with this one. Listeners, did you know that Thanksgiving is celebrated in nine other countries other than the US? I wasn't aware of how many other countries there were that celebrated. Uh, I always thought of it as incredibly American and Canadian, but these other countries are supposedly China, Germany, Grenada, Japan, Norfolk Island, South Korea, Liberia, and Vietnam. Now, I wouldn't say that all of these holidays share the same exact origin story, but I do think they are linked with practices of honoring all of our relationships while also celebrating a wonderfully bountiful harvest. So basically, yay for everyone in your lives and yay for all this food. Growing up, I was super fortunate to have lots of my family very close by to me, at most maybe an hour's drive away. Cambodians are super into hanging out and eating good food, but then again, isn't everyone? We always had these extravagant gatherings for Thanksgiving. I'd head over to my cousin's house in Northern Virginia and we'd eat from like probably 1 p.m. officially to 1 a.m. The whole concept of a Thanksgiving dinner felt like one long continuous binge. Aside from the numerous traditional staples like turkey, cranberry sauce, mashed potatoes, cornbread, and all these other things, we also had a lot of Khmer food and handfuls of Vietnamese food items because we were so close to this wonderful place called Eden Center where there's just all these delicious Vietnamese eateries. Nevertheless, it was a lot of food. In addition to this, my cousins and I would play video games, dance, maybe do karaoke, and always watch that episode of Friends with all the Thanksgivings. I can see every clip of Monica cooking and Chandler being hurt and Joey just being himself, but yeah, so that's what I think of when I think of Thanksgivings. It's always like a nice start to the festive season right after my favorite holiday of Halloween. And I think that it really gets the snowball like rolling towards families hanging out together and all these other things related to food and feasting. So Thanksgiving means a lot of different things depending on who you talk to. So let's see what everyone else has to say. When I think of Thanksgiving food, the first thing that always comes to mind for me is Buitoni three cheese tortellini, which was the only food that my very picky cousins would eat, uh, as well as myself, because I was a vegetarian, not eating turkey, and so it was sort of the alternative main course in my family growing up. Uh, I also remember that we had Pillsbury Crescent Rolls, which I liked a lot. I don't think they're super traditional uh, Thanksgiving food, but it was the only time I ever ate them. But it was every Thanksgiving we would have them. The other foods I think of are two of the only foods I ever saw my mom make. The first was cranberry jelly, which was very interesting to me because it had a really great color, but not super compelling as a food because I wasn't eating it with turkey or anything, so it was just cranberry jelly. Uh, the other one is kugel, which is a very Jewish food, at least in my mind. It's basically an egg noodle casserole, and my family would always do it savory with cottage cheese and rosemary. I think there were some nuts in there too, um, and I just remember not really understanding it when I was younger, but then realizing later in life it's basically just 
noodles and cheese, so it was always really, really good once I started eating it. Turkey stuffing. My aunt always makes this really good, like garlic beans, cranberry sauce, gravy, potatoes, mashed potatoes specifically. Baked corn and this brownie trifle that my mom makes only during the holidays. Fruit punch always comes to mind. Garlic wasabi mashed potatoes. Gobi Manchurian, which is an Indo-Chinese dish. Pizza and like really large Italian sub. Some sort of sweet potato dish. So my family's sweet potato dish is like canned apple pie filling at the bottom, then the orange sweet potatoes, and then marshmallows on top. So it's almost a dessert. I have no idea where we got that recipe from. And then we always have a green bean dish, also using canned cream of mushroom soup. One year I tried to make it with fresh mushrooms and make my own cream of mushroom soup first, and everyone agreed that they liked the like, canned processed version a lot better, just because it had more of like a classic taste for us. My grandma, who's from Guatemala, would bring like a big thing of Spanish rice as well as like the main starches. We didn't always do like a mashed potato dish because I know that's common, but I think the starches were covered. Ham in my case, actually. Uh, dinner rolls, macaroni and cheese, maybe some veggies like broccoli and cauliflower, brownies. Brownies was a typical dessert during my Thanksgiving. My grandmother would usually have a fruit bowl on the table for Thanksgiving, so cantaloupe actually springs to my mind. Maybe not everybody, but it does for me. Okay, now that you've had a little taste of what foods may grace your plates on Thanksgiving, let's delve into some feelings and memories. Honestly, one of my most embarrassing, if not hilarious, memories of Thanksgiving was Thanksgiving 2007. That Thanksgiving was particularly memorable because all of the cousins, including myself, attempted to be trendy and learn how to properly do the ugh, soldier boy dance. Is anyone else getting trauma flashbacks of all the music from the mid to late 2000s? Just me? Okay, well, we spent few hours trying to perfect it, and there's a poor 240p quality video on a digital camera, SD card or something, or a photo bucket account. There's no point in pretending it didn't happen. So to share in the warmth and the misery, I asked some gastronomes what their favorite or worst Thanksgiving memories were. My favorite Thanksgiving food memory is an embarrassing memory of the time I was tasked to bring a vegan dish to a class holiday potluck. And being the lazy procrastinator I am, I bought a box mix and prepared it last minute of holiday stuffing from Trader Joe's. Good stuff. Unfortunately, the stuffing was such a hit at class that my classmate asked for the recipe. This required some creative Googling and some creative finagling of a fake vegan recipe for stuffing. Not recommended. I usually just remember the good food and good company amongst uh, family and, yeah, family. <laughs> My family always played Scrabble on Thanksgiving, and it wasn't like everyone was around the table playing Scrabble. It was like a very slow, flexible game of Scrabble and that we'd have it 
in the living room and because there wasn't enough room in the kitchen for everyone to be like helping at the same time, people would kind of be taking turns working on their dishes and whoever wasn't in the kitchen, like playing their Scrabble pieces and then we could rotate into the kitchen and then and we didn't keep score and we almost never finished a game of Scrabble, but for some reason it always came out on Thanksgiving. Yeah, when it comes to, to big corn, the memories that I always have are my mom in our old house cooking it during the day and just like waking up and smelling it being in the early stages and how like right after lunch is when she would add the cheese layer and put that back in the oven and, and just like the smell of cheddar being in the room as like my sister and I argue across the kitchen counter but always talk about how this is the the food and the thing that's gonna bring us home every year no matter like where we go if it's possible for us to be back for Thanksgiving we're gonna be back for this baked corn. Thanksgiving has always been a controversial subject, but as a child, I never remembered it being such an issue. I mostly remember coloring pictures of happy pilgrims and happy Native Americans, or tracing my hands and making them into paper turkey decorations to bring home. I remember how I enjoyed the Thanksgiving-themed school lunches with their soggy pieces of, quote, turkey, alongside mashed potatoes and stuffing. I remember cranberry juice ice pops and mildly crusted dinner rolls. As I grew older, I started to realize the darker side of history, or rather the history that has been obscured from most childhood outlets. While there is beauty in the colloquial understanding of Thanksgiving, this idea of appreciating everyone and everything, its origin is a bit less picturesque. As the true meaning of Thanksgiving begins to shift and wane, I can't help but wonder at times what's the point of it all. Is it for the culture, the tradition, or even the obligation of seeing your family? In this last segment, we'll be talking about the good, the bad and the ugly of Thanksgiving. Living in Southern California with my mother's Italian-American family, we did Thanksgiving and we ate, you know, the traditional American Thanksgiving food. We had the turkey and the cranberry sauce and the, the pumpkin pie, my personal favorite. You know, in general, it was a thing that my family did because it was an excuse to get together and eat dinner. And at one point we did invite, you know, like 10 or 12 of, you know, close family friends and everybody came. And then over the years, it got like less and less and less. And then after my sister and I weren't at home anymore, it was sort of a dissipating tradition. Um, but I never felt any kind of connection to it in particular. I also didn't really like the foods that much aside from the pumpkin pie and the turkey cranberries sandwiches you got to make the next day. It's one of those things that for me seems like an American holiday that got a big reputation but is so divorced from the roots of what it actually is that to me it doesn't really have a lot of meaning. We weren't a family that went around the table and said what we were grateful for. It was just another excuse to eat dinner. <laughs> a bigger one altogether. So it's just kind of like lumped into this vacant holiday vacation space where you're supposed to be doing something with family, so you do, and it's like festive to eat together. But in general, there's nothing really behind it. It's just the thing that everyone else is doing, so we also do it too. A lot comes to mind when I think about Thanksgiving. You know, as an American, of course, I have the family and the holiday and food, but at the same time, as a Native American, there is a lot of history there, and there are a lot of, you know, weird, conflicted feelings 
siblings. In history class, you know, it was always framed as a really positive holiday and relationship between Americans, pilgrims, and Indians, and the Indians giving their food and teaching them how to farm. But if you even take a small glimpse into history, it's quickly evident that the United States of America has never treated Native people well. Thanksgiving is kind of the quintessential example of that once you dig into it a little bit more. At the same time, I have, I do have positive feelings about Thanksgiving too because it is rooted in Native ideology and culture. The Haudenosaunee people actually, they it stems from their Thanksgiving address where they think everything that keeps their community, their people, their world, and the well-being of Mother Earth, Father Sky, just thanking all of those elements coming together. So there are a lot of you know weird and hard identity issues to flesh out, and I think it is really important to actually trace the roots of it. I think a lot of us could agree that the common modern narrative of Thanksgiving has kind of been a, a lost <laughs> to commercialism and capitalism. So I'd be hopeful that you know we could actually go back to the roots of the Thanksgiving address and what the holiday is intended to be. At the same time, I think Thanksgiving is also a huge opportunity for a process of reconciliation with Native people and the history and the United States and um, modern culture, modern American culture taking ownership of you know what has happened and what continues to happen with mistreatment of Native people in the United States from past to present. And I think that you know it's starting to be done more and more so. I think people, in my personal experience, you know, a lot of people approach me and ask, you know, my opinions about Thanksgiving, which I didn't have, you know, before, and a lot of people I don't think had reckoned with that. But I do think it needs to occur at a larger level, and I think that, you know, it's starting to be done, especially with social media and having Native people having a larger platform to speak about, you know, what the holiday is and how it impacts them and, you know, how we can use it to kind of explore what has happened. It's also kind of coincidental and ironic that, you know, it's in November, which is also Native American History Month. So I think there is a lot of opportunity to reframe the narrative and have a lot of positivity result from that. So when my family celebrates Thanksgiving, we don't really do the quote-unquote, you know, normal American Thanksgiving. We'll take any opportunity to spend time together and have a good meal. But yeah, it's not, I we definitely don't have a tradition or, you know, a kind of go-to-go to meal kind of thing. But when we do, you know, go to have something within our family or go to family friends or whatever we do. <laughs> we do have like the modern staples, turkey, the stuffing, all of that, but we also like to indigenize it, I would say. Um, so there's three staples of a Pueblo diet, really. Corn, beans, and squash. They're called the three sisters because they grow together when you farm them and their nutrients support each other in the growing process. So pretty much every meal we eat has those. So even on Thanksgiving, we'll integrate that in some way. We also love chili, love spicy food. We're hand eaters, so everything, you know, is we dip with bread and scoop and we're not really the silverware kind of people. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's still a fun holiday and we still eat good, eat lots as always. And Pueblo people, if there's anything we do well, it's eat. So yeah. Gila and the other Pueblos as well, each of us have something called feast day. And in Gila, our term for it is Gila Foshk and it falls on August 4th of every year. And it's actually a really interesting holiday because there's a lot of history with colonization and it's also tied to our sacred you know, Pueblo practices. So New Mexico was colonized by 
Spain about 500 years ago, and they brought their patron saints with them. And each pueblo was named after a patron saint. So Gila was our old name for it was called Santo Domingo for Saint Dominic. So when you look at feast day, it actually looks like a celebration of Saint Dominic. And we have the Catholic Church in the middle of the pueblo, and we have the saint at the top of the plaza, which is basically where we have our traditional corn dances. And you know that's really old school. <laughs> It really looks like you're walking back you know, to the beginning of time. Um, it's really interesting because a lot of what we do is very under the radar. And that was part of, you know, to cope with Spanish and colonization and be secretive about our sacred practices. You know, it looks like it's a celebration of the saint, but underneath it all, it's actually a celebration of the harvest and our Pueblo ways and who we are as a people and praying for the rain, for the crops and all of that. So it's a really interesting dichotomy of culture and coping with colonization and basically survivalism. And of course, you know, the feast is at each of the homes. All of the homes open up to the public, which is very rare. We're a very secretive society. You know, you can't really go in without an invite. So you have to, on normal days, you have to have an invite. But on feast day, it's really fun. Everyone's really welcoming. You walk into a house and they feed you. And it's just a really good time to see Pueblo culture. And hopefully some of you can make it down there sometime. I can't say enough about it. I'm really proud of that day and you know we look forward to it all year long. There's also different parts of it. There's a carnival at the end of the day, a reggae dance. <laughs> so it's a crazy blend of the modern and the traditional and just you'll see a really good glimpse of the you know all the weird parts and fun parts of Pueblo people. So feast day is unique in that it's a celebration of the harvest and it's open to the public. You know it's also a day of prayer and you can feel it in the air. It's very capturing and powerful. But but, you know, we have many days of prayer and ceremony and holidays throughout the year that are not open to the public. I'd say most of what we do is kind of, you know, similar in that we're praying for uh, the harmony of nature and the elements and our community and, you know, doing what we need to do and pray for what we need to pray so that the natural world and, you know, everything else stays in balance. The food grows, the water flows and all of that. That all comes back to our food. You know, if we don't do that, if we don't pray for the rain, we won't eat and we won't have crops. So yeah, I'd say that, you know, it's everything is kind of centered around that. And, you know, it's very cyclical when you think about it. When you walk into homes at feast day, it's almost guaranteed that each house will have similar foods. We all have chili stew, green or red chili blended. And, you know, that's grown on our crops. We have a lot of farmers at home. Pueblo people are traditionally farmers. We've been an agricultural society for thousands of years. So, you know, a lot of what we have is kind of ingrained in that and cooking it certain ways and all of that. Definitely stew. We also have oven bread, which is bread that we make in our outdoor ovens. They're adobe ovens outside of each home. Basically, you put a fire in it and heat it up and then you take out the fire and the oven stays really hot. Yeah, the bread cooks in there for about an hour. It's a really, you know, it's hard to describe without seeing it. Those are always fun days making bread with my family. We always joke that we have to be there by 4 or 5 a.m. So being Pueblo is just mainly a lot of obligations, <laughs> a lot of work, but it's so we can eat. <laughs> 
So yeah, always do bread, beans, corn. Unfortunately, you know, there's also a lot of really, really unhealthy foods. And that is also a byproduct of colonization. The United States government would give us commodity foods, which are, you know, canned, highly processed, high, high in sugar, fats, carbs. And basically, you know, that we wouldn't have the traditional resources that we have, like water or moving to new reservations. And, you know, me being relocated to places where we didn't know the land or the landscape and how to survive there. So the government subsidized us with commodity foods. And a lot of those dishes still linger, have really, I would say, an epidemic of diabetes and heart disease. And it's really sad to see. So, you know, unfortunately, we have all of our traditional foods, but we also have a lot of foods high in sugar, like jellos and different dishes that a couple of people just kind of made with what we were given. Lots of like fry bread, classic commodity food, and just a lot of desserts and, you know, canned fruits and things like that that we really shouldn't be eating. Really sad to see that, you know, that we still depend on those so much and we're really trying to be aware of it and tell people, you know, with even with my own family, you know, we've tried to make the switch away from even using lard so much and things like that. It is really sad that we still have such a high dependency on those types of foods and don't have the same, you know, water resources that we had back in the day to farm and live sustainably like we used to. The most important thing that differentiates Pueblo people and our ideology with food is that every time before we eat, we give off some of our food, a piece of it, to our ancestors and we breathe on it so that they know who we are and you know we tell them to come eat with us in our language or whatever we feel like saying at the time. It's called feeding. You feed them before you feed yourself and we do it every meal. You know, that's kind of defining for who we are and you know our ideology about food. We can't, you know, live and it's almost useless to feed ourselves be without feeding them first because they're watching us and taking care of us. You know, whenever um, we're eating, we'll take off a little bit, breathe on it, put it down, say a prayer, and then we'll eat our own meal. It's also, you know, we need to make sure that they're still fed and being thought of and because they're constantly with us. I'd say that is the most important thing of, to know about, you know, Pueblo people and just really how different food is perceived with us. If it weren't for our ancestors, you know, watching over us and all of their resilience and hard work that got us to the point where we're at today, the survivalism of our people, we wouldn't be here eating. We're mindful of that all the time. And, you know, every bite we eat, we know that there's a whole backstory to it and a lot of hard work and endurance and love from our people before us. Hey there, listeners. It's your host, Tao. Thank you so much for tuning into the third episode of Bites of the Roundtable. It really means a lot to us. We hope you enjoyed these sound bites from gastronomes from all over the world. Much love to Mayani, both Collins, Janita, Nishan, Chelsea, Jenny, and Juliana for sharing their thoughts on feasting, family, and everything in between. Remember, listeners, if you decide to get wild by experimenting with a new recipe for your Thanksgiving potluck and it all goes to shit, just say, Being the lazy procrastinator I am, I bought a box mix and prepared it last minute. 